you see the divine in your neighbor. You realize your neighbor is as creation of God as you are. This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. Join us each week as two Yale Divinity School professors look at an upcoming text from the Revised Common Lectionary. This episode, we have Justin Crisp, lecturer in Anglican Studies, and Abdul Rahman Malik, associate research scholar and lecturer in Islamic Studies. They're discussing Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, which is appointed for the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, proper 20, in year C. Here's the text. Luke, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, And how much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commended the dishonest manager, because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much, and whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. I find this parable really fascinating, Justin, and really compelling, and there's a lot going on here. But at the heart of it, there's a little bit of a riddle, isn't there? Because the master has let the dishonest manager go because the dishonest manager is wasting the master's money. And yet, in seeking to resolve his potential poverty in the world now that he'll be without a job, he cuts corners in taking back the debts on behalf of his manager, and then the manager commends Uh, The master, rather, commends the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly or cleverly. Why would the master commend the dishonest manager for acting cleverly and shrewdly when he's been denied the full measure of the debt that he's supposed to receive? Mm. 
Yeah, I don't think that Jesus would have made a very good CEO coach, AR. I think he would have made it. Uh, I, yeah, how's, that, how's that for a, a tweetable comment from a Yale Divinity School faculty member? Not, not sure that he's a great CEO manager here, in part because I'm not so sure how much financial advice he's trying to give. He is trying to give financial advice, right? But it's not one-to-one here. I, I don't think that uh, every parable works in the same way. I think that in, in general... In general, it's true what I, I had a New Testament professor here when I was a master's student named um, Diana Swancutt. And Professor Swancutt told us that parables are like cars. You should pay attention to where the car is going, not get caught up on what's the make and model and the color and so on of the car. And so I I try always to, to take a look at where the parable is going and not to get too hung up on how Jesus gets us there. So there is there is just the there's just the narrative puzzle of the mismatch between the rich man at the beginning of the story and the rich man at the end, right? The rich man is ready to to dismiss the dishonest manager because he's been squandering his property. And then after, ostensibly, the manager squanders a little more property, the, the manager, uh, excuse me, the rich man commends him and says, oh yeah, great job. I mean, perhaps it's, so it's not totally clear whether this guy keeps his job at the end of the story, but he's at least commended for having acted shrewdly. I think that the essence of the parable, where the car is going, as it were, is this shrewdness. And the shrewdness is that the money manager begins to use his master's funds in order to win friends. And he does so in, in a rather cynical way, right? It's, it's kind of tit for tat, like, you know, I'm going to do you a solid, and then maybe you'll give me, you'll give me a job whenever I lose my job here, or you'll give me a house whenever I, you know, I've not I, I have no place to go because I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg, as the as the manager says in the parable. He's he's using his master's money in order to serve a set of relationships. And cynical though they may be, I think there's something about that relationship between financial resources and or just 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 stuff. <laughs> There's something about the relationship between the material and relationships that Jesus is getting at here in the shrewdness that he's committing. Well, it seems to be part of the human condition. I mean, this part of the parable reads like Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. You know, you, you spend on others and you will befriend them so that when you find yourself in difficulty, you will be welcomed into, in, into their homes. But it's interesting. It says you will be welcomed into the eternal homes that's also that's also a, a kind of is it is 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 Jesus saying well spend on your friends because ultimately that spending on the friends creates a relationship that continues beyond this world into the eternal world that the good that you do others through your wealth or through your stuff and and I'm assuming done sincerely will be something that that weds you to them takes you into relationship with them beyond this life. Mm, that's very interesting. I, that would that would fill out a little more um, the last line of of the the lesson this week. You cannot serve God and wealth, right? I mean, there there's there's a theological puzzle in the history of Christian thought about how to square the commands to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? How does the summary of the law, how do you actually, how do you square that circle? Because if you're, Augustine, for instance, is very, is, is totally obsessed with the question, if I give God my entire heart, what's left for my neighbor? And and I think that the answer is some version of, well, you love God via your neighbor. <laughs> or, or, or you see the divine 
in your neighbor. You realize your neighbor is as creation of God as you are. Right. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so there's a kind of web of relationships which your financial life is supposed to serve. Your financial life is not an end in itself, right? You're, if you're serving wealth, if you're oriented towards wealth as such, you're gonna miss. You're gonna miss the. You're gonna miss the the the, the whole point. You're gonna miss the point of of th- these aspe- these aspects of material creation, which you are which are implicated in relationships of exchange. You're gonna miss them as aspects of material creation, right? As aspects of creation, and you're also going to miss the human vocation. And there's a deep wisdom here because Jesus is talking about, as you said, our human relationship with wealth with money, with, with, with transaction. And, and I think, you know, and, and we've witnessed it, haven't we, again and again, the most noble of personalities will fall when it comes to money. And, and you, you think sometimes that why would someone risk their reputation, their livelihood, their place in the world for, for wealth, and yet people do it all the time? cut corners all the time. And I think in that, you know, when when Jesus tells us, if you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? That there is here at the heart of it an observation that Jesus is making on the human condition that says the way in which we handle wealth, money, and stuff, and how we do so honorably or dishonorably is an indication of how we will deal with other things. And, 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 and are we doing things for higher value or purpose, or are we doing things for our, own, for our own gain? And yet, Justin, you can't serve God and wealth. No household servant can serve two masters. How do we square this with Christianity today? And, and the way in which Christianity is being employed, um, you know, what, what do they call it? You know, the, 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 the Bible wedded to capitalism, the Bible wedded to, to the creation of, 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 of wealth. Uh, you, you say that Jesus wouldn't have been a good coach for CEOs. I guarantee you there's a book out there that says Jesus coaches CEOs, <laughs> right? I mean, this seems to fly in the face of certain contemporary Christian movements that are seeking to wed naked capitalism and extraction and and wealth with godliness and jesusness and and this parable is is a, to me is like hold on it's 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 like a it's like a timeout stop sign that says rethink the relationship between money god and faithfulness. It's very, very, very good, AR, because I think one of the most important things that um, that people of faith can do in our moment is to call our economic systems to account as such. If you cannot serve both God and wealth, then everything ostensibly is supposed to be serving God in the rich, multi-layered way that we've described. And that means that our economies ought to be serving God too, in that same multi-layered, very richly textured way. Um, I'm reminded of the work of, um, some of the work of Professor Catherine Tanner, who 
teaches here with us at Yale. And um, uh, Professor Tanner was a, a teacher of mine uh, when I was working on my doctorate. And Professor Tanner has, a, um, has an essay called Is Capitalism a Belief System, which I believe is in the Anglican Theological Review. And I'm not going to give a perfect precy of this, of this essay, uh, but one of the most interesting things about it was the way that Professor Tanner was drawing out of the work of Adam Smith, right, in some way, in some ways, a capitalist capitalist, right, the philosopher of capitalism. So she's reading things like the wealth of nations alongside a theory of moral sentiments and so on in the context of Smith's larger corpus and finds that capitalism for somebody like Smith writing in the 18th century is actually supposed to serve something beyond the economy. The economy itself, capital itself, is not the end of capitalism. Rather, it's the society of perfect love, he says. He actually he actually calls it a, a society of perfect love, which capitalism is supposed to serve. And Smith's idea was that uh, the way the invisible hand would work is that the invisible hand of the market would turn self-interested economic activity into the greater good, right? Now, once that particular understanding of capitalism morphs in, into future forms, I mean, I think of the work of somebody like um, Friedrich von Hayek, right, who thinks that, um, that there is no outside to the market and the market logics are exhaustive of, of – um, the price mechanisms, for instance, are exhaustive of the value of a thing. And so the market becomes a kind of self-contained something, which is no longer accountable to anything other than the market. It's not actually how it started out. It's not actually how capitalism, even capitalism, started out, right? Smith is still calling the market to account. And I think that one of the things we can all do is simply call, call the economy to account. Say, you can't serve both God and wealth. You're supposed to serve God. It's all supposed to serve God because all creation supposed to serve God. Wealth here is a kind of synecdoche, a part which represents the whole of, of creation. And when we think that our wealth is serving God, it's to ask ourselves again, is it really serving God? And, and what is, uh, with what intentionality and through which systems are we employing our wealth in the service of God? Thanks for listening. And thank you, Professors Crisp and Malik, for shedding some light on Luke's parable of the dishonest manager. Remember to rate and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening, and visit our website, YaleBibleStudy.org. Chapter, Verse, and Season is a production of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. It's produced by creator and managing editor Joel Baden, production manager Kelly Morrissey, associate producer Aidan Stoddart, And I'm your host and executive producer, Helena Martin. Our theme music is by Calvin Linderman. We'll be back with another conversation from chapter, verse, and season.